Chapter Sixteen of Lincoln, the Lawyer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Siobhan McAlpin. Chapter Sixteen: Life on the Illinois Circuit it has been repeatedly asserted that lincoln's legal reputation was entirely local and that he was unknown as a lawyer beyond his immediate neighborhood yet it is a fact that he had no sooner announced his intention to resume practice than he was offered a partnership by mr grant goodrich one of the prominent attorneys of chicago with a wide and lucrative clientage lincoln had an idea however that he was threatened with consumption and fearing that city work would undermine his health he declined the proposal and returned to his old office in springfield there is no evidence except his own that herndon maintained anything more than a nominal practice after he was left to his own devices but nevertheless lincoln offered to continue the partnership with him on the same generous terms which had governed their original alliance and in the spring of eighteen forty nine the firm of lincoln and herndon again started in business with headquarters in a little three-story building on the west side of the public square of springfield about where the myers building now stands the office was neither pretentious nor commodious but it met the requirements of the times and its equipment though meagre would compare very favorably with that of many a country law office of the present day lincoln saw but little of this official workroom however for he left all matters of routine and local business to herndon and devoted himself to circuit work the most picturesque practice of the law which is recorded in the legal annals of this country illinois in eighteen forty nine was divided into nine judicial districts each presided over by a judge who travelled from one county seat to another within his jurisdiction hearing civil and criminal cases and acting as an appellate tribunal for minor causes decided by justices of the peace and during the greater part of the year these judges were continually on their rounds followed by the members of the local bar in early times the condition of the roads forbade the use of wheels and the judge made his trips on horseback accompanied by a cavalcade of lawyers who forded the streams and defied the weather in the interest of their clients making light of the many hardships in their zeal for the profession and forming a gay if not learned company warmly welcomed and honored in every county seat before his election to congress lincoln had been one of the equestrian retinue of the honor samuel treat who at the time presided over the destinies of the eighth judicial circuit and the big leather saddle-bags which carried the lawyer's papers and belongings are in existence to-day but by eighteen forty nine wheels could be used with some comfort in travelling 
and when Lincoln resumed his professional duties, a procession of buggies and carryalls marked the progress of the court. It was an open and sparsely settled country through which the judge and lawyers journeyed in those days, a country almost skirting the wilderness from which it had only been recently reclaimed, a new, free, windswept, and in many respects beautiful country, rich with promise and possibility. Vast stretches of wonderful prairie land rolled between the little towns, which served as the centers of government for the respective counties, and so great were the distances that several days were sometimes consumed in traveling from point to point. In 1849, the 8th Circuit included no less than 14 counties, Sangamon, Taswell, Woodford, McLean, Logan, DeWitt, Piat, Champaign, Vermilion, Edgar, Shelby, Moultrie, Macon, and Christian, and its dimensions were at least 110 by 140 miles. Today there are 18 judges doing duty in the district covered by one justice in the early 50s and it is not surprising that Lincoln's attendance on the circuit occupied him at least six months of every year. Not many lawyers devoted themselves to the work as closely as he did. Some confined their attention to a few counties, others traveled half the circuit, and others even further, but Lincoln was the only member of the bar who, year after year, accompanied the judge through the entire district. The custom of riding the circuit was, of course, born of necessity, for in the early days there was not sufficient legal business in any one of the small communities to support a lawyer, to say nothing of a law firm. People who wanted to begin lawsuits usually sought their advisers in the largest town in their vicinity, or waited for the arrival of the circuit judge and the attendant bar, when they could look over the field and pick out the most available champion. Frequently, however, the local attorneys were retained to prepare the papers, with instructions to select a suitable man for the court work when the circuit-writing bar arrived on the scene. There was, therefore, an excellent chance of securing good business by constant attendance on the itinerant court, and the lawyer who visited all the counties was certain to be more widely known than any of his fellow practitioners. At the time of Lincoln's second partnership with Herndon, however, such work was more a matter of choice than necessity. Doubtless the firm could have made a satisfactory income had the senior partner devoted himself to the courts nearest his home, and maintained a branch office in the distant counties as the other lawyers did. But he liked the freedom of the road, and the happiest days of his life were those he passed on these long legal tours. Traveling the circuit was comparatively comfortable in the fifties but it still lacked something of the luxurious, and at times it involved hardships which could be surmounted only by the pest of health and spirits. 
the judge and his flock usually started out from the state capital as soon as the roads admitted of travel in the early spring and drove to the nearest county seat on their route at times his honor traveled alone but frequently some member of the bar occupied a seat in his carriage and the other lawyers made their way to the rendezvous as best they could three or more often clubbing together and hiring a conveyance for the trip lincoln sometimes traveled with these small parties but after the first year or so he maintained a horse and buggy of his own both of which were pretty wobbly according to judge weldon with whom they were left when their owner took to the iron steed but illinois railroads connected only the centers of population in the early fifties and the county seats on the eighth circuit were not much more than villages each bore a family resemblance to the other and all were strongly suggestive of the typical new england hamlet the settlement almost invariably clustered around a public square of generous dimensions in the centre of which stood the courthouse a substantial building of brick or stone the square itself was guarded from the high road by a series of wooden hitching rails and teams of all sorts nosed this fence from the opening to the closing of the term for business and pleasure both demanded the attendance of the whole county on court days and shelter for the horses and wagons was frequently unobtainable even the lawyers had difficulty in finding accommodation for their animals and as the supply of labor was extremely limited those who traveled in private rigs often had to be their own holstlers the stable facilities however were not infrequently superior to those of the hotels sometimes the tiny taverns which attempted to house the visitors boasted only one habitable room and as this was invariably reserved for the judge the lawyers not included in this hospitality had to sleep anywhere they could on the sofas the tables the window seats the floor and even in the lofts and horse stalls it was no uncommon thing for his honor to invite three or four men to occupy his room but the one who was selected to share judge davis's bed might about as well have slept on the floor for that jurist was almost as wide as the ordinary four-poster lincoln and he made a fair average as far as width was concerned but as the former was six feet four and had to lie crosswise to fit in the average bed their combination was not a pronounced success in the dining-room the tavern-keeper usually reserved one end of the table for the bar and the judge was always expected to preside at the head of the board but the function was frequently a barmecide feast and as lincoln remarked there was very little advantage in sitting at the head of the table unless the food improved as you moved up except for this distinction as to place there was no difference made between the legal fraternity and the other guests of the hotel and litigants witnesses jurors and prisoners out on bail were accommodated at the same table and enjoyed the same fare 
indeed mr whitney recalls several persons actually on trial who not only took their meals with his honor and the bar but also spent their evenings in the judge's room without the slightest embarrassment to any one the inconvenience and discomforts of the life were at times almost unbearable but lincoln was never known to join in the frequent protests and complaints of his associates indeed his sense of humor often saved the situation and made it tolerable if not enjoyable for himself and others he saw the comic side of all that irritated men of more nervous temperament and disposed of annoyances with a laugh so hearty and infectious that even the disgruntled victims of petty misfortunes had to join in his mirth in an indolent easy manner he studied the various types of human nature encountered on the road took a direct personal interest in the people he met and made friends at every stopping-place all the court clerks and county officials were glad to see him come and sorry to have him depart he had a warm welcome at every tavern door and all sorts and conditions of men claimed his close acquaintance but despite this general popularity lincoln was not as he has frequently been depicted an irresponsible hail-fellow-well-meant familiarly known as abe who went about slapping people on the back and encouraging similar salutations nothing could be further from the truth than this judge weldon informed the writer that in all his acquaintance with lincoln on the circuit the only person he ever heard address him by his first name was a street urchin whose impertinence astonished the future president quite as much as it amused him and there is no reason to believe that he courted such familiarities after he reached maturity certainly his correspondence shows that he almost invariably addressed people by their last names even his most intimate friends like speed and davis and although herndon relates anecdotes in which he figures as billy lincoln's letters refer to him as herndon or william although he was a much younger man than his partner and something of a protege this is not at all suggestive of the arm-around-the-neck familiarity with which Lincoln is credited, and, as a matter of fact, he admitted very few friends to his confidence, and his intimates never numbered more than two or three. He was undoubtedly easy-going, pleasant-spoken, cordial, unconventional, and entirely approachable but he had his own distinctive barrier of dignity which no one ever surmounted. It is easy to understand the fascination of the circuit life. The members of the bar formed a bright, congenial company who strove mightily with each other in the courtrooms, but ate and drank as friends. They were persons of credit and renown in the eyes of all the assembled countryside, oracles to the political gossips, and leaders of public opinion whose words were often law. Every man knew every other man, and the close, daily contact in the courtrooms and on the road created a spirit of comradeship which no mere professional interest could supply. 
there was little of dull routine in the life less of cold formality nothing of the anxieties and cares which characterize modern practice and the play instinct which few men ever entirely outgrow was strongly in evidence at every term of court one group of the merry company founded a mock tribunal which formulated all sorts of ridiculous charges against their fellow practitioners and tried the offenders with burlesque pomp and severity to the delight of all beholders others were good at song and story and many of the evenings passed in the judge's private room were all-night sessions of mirth and good fellowship which made for lasting friendship and an esprit de corps destined to have a marked effect upon more than one career the whole atmosphere of the profession favored individuality self-expression and development and lincoln responded to all these encouraging influences he was distinctly a human product and his growth of mind and character was most happily fostered by the free life of the circuit where he was in close touch with a vigorous independent unartificial people drawn from every part and class of the country and all representatively american theirs was the force which really moulded the man at the formative period of his career and the most important individual influence on his future may be fairly ascribed to the judge before whom he practiced and with whom he virtually lived for ten successive years End of chapter sixteen